Oh, come on, let everything that have breath praise the Lord. Oh, if there's breath in your lungs, come on, let there be a praise on your lips. Come on, if there's breath in your lungs, let there be a praise on your lips. I praise you, Jesus. Oh, I worship you, God. I magnify your name. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let's exalt his name together. Let's exalt his name together. I love you, Jesus. I worship you, Jesus. God, you are great. You are amazing. You are incredible. You are worthy. I love you, Jesus. 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 Oh, I love you. I love you, Lord. 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 Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Come on, rejoice in him. I love you, Jesus. Let the redeemer of the Lord say so. Come on, let the redeemer of the Lord say so. Has he redeemed your soul? Go ahead and say so. Jesus, you're the God of my salvation. Oh, you're the God of my salvation. Lord, I declare how good you are. Lord, I exalt you. I magnify you. I worship you. I bless you. Lord, with all that I am, I love you, Jesus. 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 Let's lift our hands together. Say whatever you need to say to Jesus to express what you feel right now. Come on, talk to the Lord. He's your Savior. Come on, He sticks closer than a brother. He's as close as the mention of His name. Happily, if you would just feel after Him, you're going to find Him. You're going to find him if you just feel after him. Come on, just linger in the presence of Jesus. He's here. Jesus, I love you. I've been waiting for you, God. I've been looking for this moment, Jesus. I love you so much, God. I love you so much, God. I praise your holy name. You are worthy. You are awesome. You are amazing. You are incredible. I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you. Can we give Jesus a standing ovation? Come on, would you give the King of Kings a standing ovation? Bibles, you go ahead and reach for those. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. What an awesome God we serve. We are a blessed people that he would allow us to even survive his presence right now. Hallelujah, Jesus. As I was worshiping the Lord, I was just thinking on This May has been 16 years we have been here in Watertown. And I remember the days 
dreading going to bed on Saturday night, knowing that I would have to wake up Sunday morning. And on that Sunday morning, I would wake up and I was sleeping in the basement of where we were having church in that split-level home. And I would just stare at the ceiling for directly above that six, seven, eight-foot ceiling that was down there. Right above that is where I was going to preach in a few moments. And I hated every moment of it. It was a depressing atmosphere to wake up to. It was a depressing atmosphere to preach to. But what an open heaven we get to live under right now. What an enjoyable presence of the Lord we get to live in right now. It's worth it. It is worth whatever fight you are going through to hold on and do what the tongue and interpretation went forth. Give your situation to God and trust Him. Trust in God. He is not going to leave you. He's not going to forsake you. But He will perfect that which concerns you. We're going to go to the book of Hebrews chapter 11. I'm going to read through three verses here and pray. I want to share a word with you that the Lord gave me a month or two ago when I was speaking in Aberdeen. I feel to share it here today. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 through 3. Now faith. Someone say faith. Someone say now. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for. It is the evidence of things not seen. Someone say, things not seen. For by it, by that faith, our elders obtained a good report. Through faith, someone say faith. Through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen, someone say things which are seen, were not made of things which do appear. I want to speak for the next few moments about things not seen. Jesus, I love you. I thank you, Lord, that you have graced us with your presence. Lord, that you've already done a healing work in this room. There's been a release. There's been a joy. Chains have fallen. And God, I believe that you have some directives for us in these next few moments that when we walk out of this facility, we are not going to wander and walk aimlessly without direction, without purpose. But Lord, I believe that the steps of a good man, the steps of a righteous man are ordered of the Lord. And God, people are going to walk with intention in their steps as they leave this place today. I believe it, therefore I speak it. I thank you, God, in advance. I thank you ahead of time, and I worship you. And somebody say, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, you may be seated. Things not seen. The other month in Aberdeen, I preached their 50-year anniversary service that they called their Jubilee service. Jubilee is a biblical term from the Old Testament. When you read through the Old Testament, there are many festivities. There's many times of celebration that the Lord ordained. There are certain dates on the calendar in which they were to adhere, to pay attention to, to honor, to follow through with, and 
one of those things was called the year of Jubilee. The year of Jubilee was the 50th year. And at this year of 50, there was to be a complete pardon. It would be a reset. I remember when I was young and into video games, I used to play Nintendo, and there was a reset button. And many a times I would push that reset button, either out of frustration of what was happening in the game, or because the game would just freeze up and I was doing well, then it would just escalate my anger because now I was about to win at a level and the game froze and I had to reset the button. Now, you young young bloods here, you don't understand anything about cartridges. They were plastic cartridges with precious cargo at the core of the content of that plastic console and you would sometimes blow on that cartridge. would slap it. Somehow, miraculously, your blown saliva and slapping of that piece of plastic replaced inside of that game console would cause it to resurrect, and now everything would be okay. It's not exactly a perfect parallel of what the year of Jubilee is, but it was a reset of sorts. It was a reboot of whatever things were transpiring, wherever people found themselves, God would push a reset button, this societal reset. The people in the land in the year of Jubilee were commanded to take a one-year break, a one-year vacation. I don't know the longest vacation you've ever had, but I don't know if there's anyone in this place that's ever taken a year vacation. Now, maybe you lost your job for a year and you were very worried about finding work. That's not the same as a one-year vacation where your boss said, I'll take care of everything. And that's what God, their boss, their heavenly father promised. He said, you take a year's vacation and I'll cover all the expenses. I'll take care of all the provision. So the people in the land would rest And by faith, they would depend on God's provision. They would have to trust their boss. They would have to trust their superior that he was going to take care of everything. Jubilee this year also operated as a corrective. Because the nature of man, the nature of humans are tight-fisted and hard-hearted. God knew this. And so he began to initiate and say, this is what we must do because I know the hardness of your heart. I know the greed that will rise inside of you, and I know those who will not know how to exercise temperance and restraint, self-control, and handle their finances well and be responsible, and they're going to enter into poverty because they're buying things they don't need with money they don't have, and they're going to be at the very bottom of the latter ream. And so the Lord initiated or set forth this idea, this concept called the year of Jubilee. We read in Leviticus chapter 25, verse 15 and 16 about this year. It says, when you buy land from your neighbor, the price you pay must be based on the number of years since the last Jubilee. Jubilee affected the economy. The seller 
set the price by taking into account the number of years remaining until the next year of Jubilee. The more years until the next Jubilee, the higher the price. The fewer the years, the lower the price. Because what happened on the year of Jubilee, all debt was forgiven. Imagine that. Having that credit card in hand, knowing that, you know, in five more months, all this is going to be forgiven. Swipe that thing as fast as you can until it starts mounting. But the people knew that the year was going to come, and so they would respond differently. There would be certain allowances or disallowances. But the Bible says that the more years there were till the next Jubilee, the higher the price of property or person. The fewer the years, the lower the price of property or person. In Leviticus 27, verse 18, if the field is dedicated after the year of Jubilee, the priest is to assess the land's value in proportion to the number of years left until the next year of Jubilee. Its assessed value is reduced each year. In simplest terms, the closer you were to Jubilee, the less you were worth. The closer you were to the year of Jubilee, the less that land was worth. The less that property was worth. But then immediately after the year of Jubilee, you had maximum worth. You had maximum value. We come to Jesus, who is our high priest, who is our Jubilee. And we tend, like most individuals, to come to him at our lowest point. We come to Jesus at our lowest worth. We come to him in our lowest value. But Jesus gives us our highest worth. Jesus, who sees how worthless we are, how trivial, insignificant we are, and the debt that we carry, the debt that we owe, and he pays full price. The Bible says in Acts chapter 20 and verse 28, this is the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. You are not redeemed with corruptible things such as gold or silver. You were redeemed with the precious blood of the lamb. Jesus paid for your soul salvation by dying on that cross. And most people don't find that cross till they come to their lowest point, their lowest value. When they got debt stacked high, spiritually speaking and literally speaking, everything is against you. But when you're at the foot of the cross and you come to the high priest, he gives you a year of jubilee. You don't have to wait 49 more years. You don't have to wait 50 more years. Right here, right now, today, God will pardon all of your debt. He'll take your sins, spread them as far as the east is from the west, and he'll pay full price for your soul. I'm thankful for a Savior as such. Jubilee today can be anybody's jubilee. Speaking of Jubilee in the Old Testament, it's not about simply correcting economic problems. Though that was a major part of it. It's very important. It wasn't even just caring for the poor because they were poor. It was about restoring identity. Think about whatever worth value you had in the societal realm. 
you were a good person, you had a good job, you had a good family, but fell into the pleasures of sin for a season. Lust hath conceived and bring forth sin, and sin when it is finished, it brings forth death. And all of a sudden, you've lost your identity. You've lost your respect that you had from your spouse. You lost the respect that you had from your friends and family. You lost everything. Jubilee was not just about taking care of poverty. It was about restoring identity. Think about enacting the year of Jubilee in today's society. It'd be a nice thing, and there's various attempts that governments try to make to correct things, but... You can never really enact jubilee in today's society, biblically speaking, because it's a problem of the heart. It's not a problem of economics. It was a heart issue. It was not a money issue. Money is just basically the unfolding or the extension of a deeper problem, a deeper situation. That's why the Bible says the love of money is the root of all evil. Money is not evil, but the love of it. And so a lot of what we see in poverty, in problems in society, is a revealing of a heart situation that we have. All of this good news of a year of Jubilee, and yet there's no evidence, not one scripture, that the year of Jubilee ever took place. You can search all over in scripture and not find one time the year of Jubilee was taken advantage of. That it was implemented. It never was recorded to be such in scripture. They never seen the promise of blessing and liberty that was given to them. God said on this 50th year is a year of jubilee. You can see all your debt go away. You can see the property you lost restored to you. You can see the house that went into foreclosure restored to you. You can see all of your family that had to be sold into slavery as servants. You could see them restored to you, but they never saw the promise of this blessing and liberty given to them. Jubilee should be a time of celebration, rest. And that rest allows reflection, looking back and contemplating, consider all of what has transpired and what has been. Looking back and to see what has been accomplished, what has been performed. As I mentioned in the beginning here, as I just kind of talked about what I was feeling as I was worshiping the Lord, I, I just found myself reflecting on the past 16 years, I find myself doing it more and more so on seeing what the Lord has done and that we've been able to kind of just relax. If you remember, I believe it was evangelist Brennan Claiborne that came here a few months ago. And there was, I don't remember if it was a tongues and interpretation or just a prophetic utterance that went forth that he felt strongly under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost. But he mentioned to this church that you fought, you know how to war, you know how to wear armor in battle, but it is a time to learn to enjoy, to rejoice, to live in the joy of the Lord, to enjoy harvest. And I thank God that since that time, in fact, most of all of last year and this year, we have had a time of celebration. We have had a time of rejoicing. We've had many years of war, but I thank God that we have been able to have years of rejoicing and seeing the storehouses filled and seeing the blessings of God upon the church here in Watertown. I am thankful. Is anybody here want to take a moment and just tell Jesus thank you for his goodness and thank him for his mercy? 
Come on, would you just give God thanks? You know your marriage was a wreck, but God was so good to you. You knew that you were stressed out because you didn't know how you were going to take care of the next month and provide for your family. But the goodness of God, I thank God for his mercy. I thank God for his rich, abundant blessings upon this church. We are blessed to be able to walk into this atmosphere and there is a liberty in the spirit. That has been said time and time again that you probably think that we program the traveling speaker evangelist that comes here to say that. But no, they honestly observe it and feel the liberty that is here. This is the first Sunday I've been here in four weeks. And I've been many places uh, uh, throughout this year as we've been deputizing. And thank God that we have finished that deputation in four months. And we're, we're full focus here with next town ministries and god has helped us to start two new works and i thank the lord for it it's great to see richard from millbank here today not to embarrass you but he's part of the new work in millbank i give honor to him but god is doing a great thing god is doing a great work and i look and i think of all that the lord has done as we live in an atmosphere that is just there's such a freedom and such liberty in this room but we can reflect but i ask you what about now what about now? Hebrews 11.1, 1, now faith. We need faith right now, not just faith for the past and not just faith for the future, but right now, faith. It is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And by it, the elders obtained a good report. Through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. So the things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. The substance of faith is hope. The evidence of faith is reaching for what has yet to be seen. Again, I say the substance of faith is hope. And the evidence of your faith is reaching for what has yet to be seen. Something you would like to see that you're hoping and believing for. True faith is reaching for the unattained, reaching for what has yet to be seen. Things which we now see currently in this room, in this building in Watertown, they were obtained by those that have been faithful, by those that have gone before us. What we see now in this room, in this place, is what they have believed to see. Not just those that are a part of this congregation that have been there since the beginning, but those that have come before us decades and have planted many seed and witnessed to many souls. There are souls that have been baptized in Jesus' name that I was privileged to baptize and pray for because someone came decades before I did and made the connection. There is no labor that is in vain. All labor is invested. God wants His Word to come to pass. And God is not willing that any should perish. But what you and I see now is what those that gone before us believe to see. And what must now believe for what we have not seen. You and I got to start believing for something that we have not seen. It's easy to believe in what we see. Because someone before us believed for it and we get to walk into a miracle. Lest, lest you forget, I'll remind some of you that some, it can just be a passing fleeting thought that we are worshiping inside of a literal miracle right now. We have no business 
being on this almost four acre property. We have no business being in this almost 11,000 square foot building. $1.3 million appraised value selling for three quarter of a million. But God gave it to us for just a fraction of that price. And we never took out a loan or were in debt. God miraculously provided for us to be in this room right here. Right in the chairs that you are sitting on. People have given them to us. This pulpit that we preach from, it has been given to us. The soundboard that you hear us preaching from right now, that was given to us. You are inside of a miracle. We are worshiping inside the realm of God's provision. We get to walk into Jubilee every single service. I thank God for it. That's not to say that the people in this room have not paid a price because we sure have. We've all done the temple tax. We've all done the 10% and then some. We've all been a part of different fundraisers. But God has blessed this church because we're not here just to inherit. We're here to invest. This is a giving church. This is a sacrificial church. And because we are sacrificial, we will see what we have yet to see if we can continue to believe for it. 1 Corinthians 2.9, reading on down, says, Your eye has not seen, your ear has not heard, has not entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for them. That's you and I. God's prepared it for them that love Him. I ask us today, how many things have you and I possibly not seen that God has prepared for us? If you were to take a moment and write some inventory, is there potentially anything you've not seen yet? That God has prepared for you to see. And he's prepared it for you because you love him. Does anyone love the Lord here? If you love the Lord. The Bible says he's prepared some things for you that your eyes have yet to see. But it says in verse 10 that God has revealed them to us by his spirit. For the spirit searches all things, yea, the deep things of God. Because you love him, he has prepared to reveal deep things to you. Those deep things you cannot see. You and I cannot see what is concealed, what is in the depths. But there is a God who desires to reveal the depths to you. There is a God in heaven that desires to reveal what your eye has never seen, that is currently concealed, that you have hope for, that you wish for, that you pray for. But you got to realize something here today, that this idea of something that you hope for is not just some fictitious mystical concept just to kind of build a little you know feeling inside of you of a positive uh, emotion that God may do something but you'll never see it no the Bible says God loves you and he's prepared this for you so you can see deeper things than you are currently seeing and what we see now is what they believe to see. And what we must do now is to believe what they have not seen. God has revealed them to us. Verse 11, what man knows the things of a man, save the spirit of a man which is in him. Even so, the things of God knows no man but the spirit of God. Now, you and I, we didn't receive the spirit of the world. We received the spirit which is of God. Why did God give us the spirit that you and I might know the things that are freely given to us of God. God has given some things to you 
That's why he gave you the spirit so you can be a recipient of things that God freely gives to us. And so he says these things we need to speak. Which things also we speak not in the words of man's wisdom, but which the Holy Ghost teaches. Comparing spiritual things with spiritual. And we have to speak of things believed or they will remain unseen. Does anyone have a faith to see some things that you have yet to see? Well, you have to speak of those things or you will leave them in a state of being unseen till Jesus comes. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. They're foolishness to him. It's like maybe this statement I'm making seems foolish to you. You, you. you don't get to know them naturally. They're spiritually discerned. And he that is spiritual judges all things, and he himself is judged of no man. For who has known the mind of the Lord that may instruct him? But you and I, we have the mind of Christ. God wants to rewire our thinking. God wants us to think like he thinks. God wants us to be like he is. I give you a number of scriptures, but here's a simple one. Be ye holy, for I am holy. For God to require it, that's the only reason why you and I can aspire to it, is because God says to be it. Be holy, for I am holy. And so we are, we are in this place in the natural man, but God wants us to shift to spiritually discern things and to have a new mind, to have the mind of Christ. And so reading the words of Christ is one of the best ways for you to understand the mind of Christ. Talking to him in prayer is one of the best ways to know the mind of Christ. And to know what you feel in prayer, if it be of God, go to the word of God and to fact check. Does this still line up with God's will or is it contradictory? We must be people of word and we must be people of prayer. If people are in prayer and people are in the word, you can spiritually discern things and have the mind of Christ. You can think like Jesus thinks. You can be, if you've been married long enough, you can think like your spouse does. Like she doesn't have to be home and you can walk by and be like, well, I know I'm supposed to pick up my socks and put them in the hamper, in other words. You, you know before they say anything, before they give you a look, you know. And it's important that we know the mind of Christ because we're around him enough and we talk to him enough and we read his love letter enough, the word of the Lord. But look at one occasion to get into the mind of Christ. Luke 4, 16 through 21. Jesus comes to Nazareth. He'd been brought up there. And he does what his custom is. He goes to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. And he stands up to read. They bring to him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And he opens the book. And he finds the place where it is written. And Jesus reads, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, to recover sight to the blind, and to set at liberty them that are bruised. Jesus reads from a text that originally was written over 500 years before he walked this earth in the flesh. And as he's reading this promise that people have heard time and time again, and have never seen the promise fulfilled, never seen the promise come to fruition, he reads in verse 19 that his mission, the mission is to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. 
Jesus closes the book, gives it to the minister, and he sits down. The eyes of everyone in that congregation, in that synagogue, fasten on Jesus. And this is what Jesus says as everyone is in silence, staring at him. This day is the scripture fulfilled in your ears. They got to sit in the very presence of prophetical fulfillment. What is the acceptable year of the Lord? The acceptable year of the Lord was the year of Jubilee. And it had never been celebrated. It had never been enacted. It was a promise given to them for over a millennia. And nobody ever took advantage of it. Then a prophet named Isaiah begins to move under the inspiration of the Spirit and say the day is going to come where someone's going to get the Spirit on them and someone's going to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. It could have been proclaimed before, but nobody would proclaim it. Nobody would step out by faith and pursue it. But someone this day, Jesus, says, I'll do it myself. I'll bring. I'll roll up my sleeves and my armor salvation will bring it to pass. I'll preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Jesus brought it to pass. So you and I are living in the realm for what you see, what has never been seen before. What you and I get to see and what you and I get to experience. It has never been done before. We live in the acceptable year of the Lord. We live in the time of Jubilee. And if you're depressed about being alive today in 2022, you're missing the reality of what year it is. Don't focus that it feels like 2020 all over again perpetually. I'm telling you, you and I live in the acceptable year of the Lord. There are rich, exceeding promises that are given to you and I this very day and this very hour. Mm. Hebrews eleven six 6 says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. If you're going to come to God, you must believe that he is. Believe that he's what? What is he? He is a rewarder. Who does he reward? Them that diligently seek him. How do we seek him? By faith. Not by how you feel. Because if you seek him by how you feel, there'll be more days you don't seek him at all. So we seek him by faith, not by feeling. Noah was warned of God, of things not seen as yet. He moved with fear. He prepared an ark to the saving of his house. By which he condemned the world became the heir of righteousness, which is by faith. What we see came from things that do not appear. We can live in a realm talking about what has been seen. We can live in a realm where we are talking about things never seen. Or we can live in a realm where we believe for things not seen yet. Yet. I want to see some things that I've never seen. But I refuse to say I'll never see them. I may have not seen them yet. I determined to live that I have yet to see it, not that I'll never see it. See, the Bible says in verse 7, by faith. Noah did three things that we need to do. We need to move, we need to prepare, and we need to save. By faith. Noah began to move. He never seen 
a rain before. He never seen a flood before. But he began to move. And he began to prepare. He prepared for what was promised. What was promised? Judgment. And so he prepared for the judgment to come. And that's what we must do as well. When we hear a word of faith that there is an afterlife and there's a place called heaven, there's a place called hell, we need to start moving by faith. And we need to start preparing that we can make it into the right side of eternity. I want to prepare so I don't go to hell. I want to prepare so I go to heaven. So I'm going to move, I'm going to prepare, and I'm going to be saved. And I want to move, and I want to prepare for others to be saved. Because some people just don't see what Noah saw. Thank God there was a man that walked with the Lord, and he found grace in the sight of God. If you're in this room right here, right now, that means you have found grace grace in the sight of God. The fact that you get to sit in this room and hear the word of God preach to you means you found grace. That doesn't mean you're saved. It means you found grace for grace is in this room. Noah had to move by faith. He got grace by God to move with fear saying, I got to prepare now. There is a judgment that is coming and I believe it. So I'm going to prepare my ark for the saving of my house. And you're here today. If you would move and you would prepare, not only will you save your soul, you can save your family's soul. If your husband's not saved, if your wife's not saved, if your children are not saved, start moving, start moving and start preparing. Preparing. And if you start moving and you start preparing, I promise you there is a God who will not only help you find grace, but he'll help your family find grace. Hallelujah. Someone say hallelujah. Hallelujah. We got to move. We got to prepare. And pastor... He's been led by the Holy Ghost, and he's been getting this body moving, getting this body in gear. But there's some preparation that's coming down the pike here. And we need to make sure by faith we move and we prepare with the leadership. And as we do that, there's going to be a saving. That See, I, I personally do not believe that God built this massive ark just for animals to get in there. I believe if God needed to kick out a few zebras to get a few souls in there, he would have permitted. I think if he wanted to kick out a few skunks to allow a few more souls in, he would, God would have rather had a soul in there than a horse, than any other creature that you can think of and God wants to make sure that there's some souls added to your house Mark 2 I'm just about almost kind of there Mark chapter 2 verse 9 through 12 Jesus says what what's easier for you to say is it easier to the sick someone that has sick of palsy to tell them your sins be forgiven or to say arise take up your bed and walk. Jesus made a statement about this man's faith and him being forgiven of his sins. And people begin to, you know, their feathers are getting ruffled and they're all mad and upset that he said that. And Jesus said, you know, anybody could actually say that. They could say it by faith that sins are forgiven. Because you don't, you don't see physical evidence in that moment of sins being forgiven. It's something internal taking place, something spiritual taking place. So Jesus says, what do you think is easier for me to say? God's forgiven you. Or, you've never walked, take up your bed and walk. Which, which, which situation would you rather be in? 
someone that comes down the middle of this aisle in a wheelchair, and you pray for them, and you say, I believe God's forgiven you, or you say, I believe God's going to get you out of the wheelchair right now. Which one's going to put more pressure on you? I think all of us think the physical would put more pressure on. But Jesus says, so you know that I have power to forgive sins. He told that man to arise, take up his bed, and walk. And immediately that man rose up, took up the bed, and went forth. And the people on that room said, we never saw it on this fashion. I've never seen anything like that before. Jesus started a new fashion trend. Things people never seen before were beginning to be seen before their very eyes. I want to ask this congregation in a spirit of challenge, in a spirit of love, what is easier for you to say? What is easier for you to believe? God can build the Jesus church to a congregation of 200 after 50 years. After 50 years of struggle, after 50 years of depression, after 50 years of misery, after 50 years of, of just barely getting by, I believe God can give us a church of 200 after 50 years. Or God can give us 50 souls in one revival this year. Which is easier to say? That God can grow this church to 200 in one service or it's going to take a couple decades which is easier to say we all know the answer it's easier to say that oh yeah i believe the gs church is going to be a congregation of this size or the gs church will get this kind of property in maybe a couple decades but that is easy for you to say and it's a cop-out for us to say we got to start saying things that are not easy to say. We got to start declaring things that will challenge your flesh and challenge the way of thinking. It's got to challenge the natural man. If the natural man is not challenged, you don't need the supernatural. But if the natural man is challenged, that means you need the supernatural. To have a 200 soul church in the next couple of months is a supernatural act of God. For us to have to move to multiple services in just a couple of months is a supernatural act of God. What's easier for you to say? Stop saying the easy things and stop praying the easy things. Start praying something that is so improbable, that is so impossible, and begin to declare by faith that it makes your flesh uncomfortable and say, I believe it. In the name of Jesus, flesh, I crucify you and I declare before this year is over, this is a church of 200. Before this year is over, God, that we're going to see a man come out of a wheelchair. When's the last time you declared something that just seems so unlikely that it seemed crazy to believe? Matthew 9, 32 through 34. They went out. They brought to Jesus a man possessed with a devil. And the devil's cast out. And this man began to speak. Multitudes marvel. What do they say? It's never been seen. I've never seen this before. And so people got something to say about things they've never seen before. Oh, they cast out devils through the prince of the power of devils. People mock things they've never seen before. Cynics and critics will tear down what they've never believed to see. See, when you never believe to see it and you see someone else see it because they believed it, you attack them. 
I, I, I've, I've heard it. I've seen it. Time, I've, 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 I've experienced it myself personally as an individual and as trying to lead a church here in Watertown where people begin to make statements because obviously everyone's okay when you're, when, you're, when you're suffering and you're struggling. It's easy to weep with those that weep. It's a lot more difficult to rejoice with those that rejoice. All of a sudden, a church starts seeing revival. And a ministry starts, you know, growing. And all of a sudden, now, now jealousy comes in or greed comes in. And now people got something to say, well, they're probably doing this. They're probably compromising. You know, they're probably proselyting. They're probably, the people say all kinds of things when they don't get to see what they never believed for. But this church, we will believe to see the goodness of God in the land of the living. I'm going to believe for it. And I'm not going to be a cynic. I'm not going to be a critic. I'm going to be a believer. I choose to believe. I choose to believe. I choose to believe that God is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or even think. <laughs> the Pharisees, they arrived. They, they discussed the letter in the law, but they never talked about the spirit or the power that was behind the law. They had the black and white all figured out and memorized, but they never got to the spirit behind the print. We got to get past the print and get into the spirit that made the print possible. I'm not negating or I'm not, I'm not slamming, damning, condemning, and throwing out the word of God. I'm just letting you know the word of God is quick, meaning it is alive. It's just not a written word for our reading pleasure to increase our intellectual feel good. The word of God is alive. The word of God is spirit. The kingdom of God is not flesh and blood. The kingdom of God is righteousness, power, it's joy in the Holy Ghost. We've got to get to the spirit behind the law. We got to get to the spirit behind the book because this book is alive. And when Jesus said you lay hands on the sick and they recover, that's a promise of a spirit breathed word that you and I as believers can experience. Mm. Would you lift your hands for a moment? Uh, would someone in this room believe with me? Would someone in this room agree with me? Would someone in this room believe with the spirit of the word? Would someone agree with the word of God? Come on, mix your faith. Mix your faith in what you hear. Mix your faith in that promise. I choose to believe. I choose to believe. I choose to believe. I choose to believe. I don't want to say I've, I've arrived. Philippians 3, 12 through 14, Paul, the apostle, says, not as though I already attained. Not that I'm perfect, but I'm, I'm following after. That I can apprehend, that I can get a hold of what's got a hold of me. I want to get a hold of what's got a hold of me. No man could come to God except the Spirit draws him. The Spirit got a hold of me and has been drawing me. But I want to get a hold of what's put, got a hold of me. I want to get a hold of what's drawing me. I want to get a hold of Jesus. And if the Apostle Paul says he's not got a hold of it yet, I think you and I can safely say that we've not got a hold of it. We don't count ourselves to have apprehended. But we do this one thing, forget what is behind and reach for what is before us. Press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. We can celebrate what God has done in the past in this church. We could celebrate and rehearse the story of this building. We could rehearse the story, the miracles that have happened over the years. And I believe it's important that we take moments to do that, to be thankful, to be appreciative. But you don't camp out in the past and just kind of celebrate the past and you never move forward. 
we got to press toward the mark. Thus saith the Lord, Isaiah 43, 16 through 19. I'm just about done. Thus saith the Lord, which makes a way in the sea, and a path in the mighty waters. When you read Isaiah 43, he's given this long list of all the miracles, signs, and wonders that he'd done through Moses. The ten plagues of Egypt. The parting of the Red Sea. And that stuff preaches good. And we get excited preaching the past. We get excited preaching the miracles of yesteryear. The Bible says he brought the, forth the chariot, the horse, army, power. They lie down together. That water swept over them and drowned them, which is a symbol of baptism. In verse 18, here's what the writer says. Forget about it. Stop focusing on the former things. Stop thinking about the days of old. Stop reminiscing about the good old days, the golden years of Pentecost. Oh, what it used to be like around here at the Jesus Church. Stop focusing on that. Get over it and move forward. He says, because I'm going to do a new thing. And if you focus on the old thing, you're going to miss the new thing. Not a new doctrine, not, a, not, not anything like that. I'm just talking a new work that God is doing. I thank God for the old work. I thank God for every landmark. But God is doing a new thing under new leadership in this new day that we are living in right now. And it's going to spring forth. She, shall ye not know it? I will even make a way in the wilderness, in rivers, in the desert. It is an impossible lay of land for this to even be. But the the more impossible, the more God is drawn to it. The less likely for it to be occurred in your life means God says, I want to partner up with that. Because if I can link with an impossible situation, that means no flesh will get glory, only God. And this is why you got to bring God the impossible. That's why you got to bring something that's so far out of reach that you say, God, except you build this house, I'm going to labor in vain. Except you keep this city, Lord, I'm going to awake but in me i need you jesus god help us to bring the impossible to you and to begin to believe for the impossible to come to pass huh. hebrews eleven thirty nine through 40 all these having obtained a good report when you read hebrews 11 the long litany of the hebrews hall of faith these people that gave themselves the ones that we celebrate abraham isaac and jacob samson uh, Isaiah, uh, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, you read all these, these heroes of faith in the Old Testament that we look up to and admire like, man, they're incredible. And then there's the others, the ones that are without name, that were sawn in half, that were tortured, that were beaten, that were whipped. The Bible says they all got a good report, but they didn't receive the promise. God provided some better thing for us. It's not because we're better than them. But the Bible says God has prepared some better things for you. You wish to see the Red Sea. You wish to see leprosy healed. You wish to see the things that we read about in Scripture. But God says, I got something better than that. And without us today, the Hebrews Hall of Faith should not be made perfect. Meaning they're incomplete without us. You are to complete the chapter the church. Thank God for our elders and those who have gone before us. We ought to honor them. But you will not honor them by simply maintaining what they attained. If we're just going to be a bunch of maintenance workers around here, just maintaining 
how far we've come and to celebrate it and just maintain. Because the, 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 a trend that you see when churches stop to grow is they simply maintain what they have or defend what they have. And it's no more forward thinking. It's never reaching for more. It's, oh, man, we got to protect this. we got to protect this. we got to protect this. We don't want to compromise. We don't want to die. We don't want to lose out. We, we're just going to camp, going to protect. Nothing wrong with protecting the doctrine. But I, what is it? C.S. Lewis is something like, you know, I'll defend the Bible like I defend a lion. Don't worry. The doctrine's going to make it. But we're going to defend not just the faith that was once delivered, but we're going to reach to those that need to be delivered. And that's what we got to do. I'll defend this faith that's once delivered. There's no other faith. There's no other doctrine. There's one God. His name's Jesus. We baptize in Jesus' name, filled with the Holy Ghost, speaking in tongues, the whole nine yards, living a life of holiness. We're going to defend it. We're going to preach it. We're going to teach it. But we got to do it more than just camp out around it. We got to believe for what we have not seen. The people that you work with, that you see at work, but you've never seen in this room, you got to believe to see them in this room. The people that you've never seen in this community, you got to believe God's going to connect you to people in this town that you've never seen that you're going to see in this building you got to start to believe these things by faith in the name of jesus would you lift your hands would you lift your voice would someone pray come on would someone lift their voice right now in the name of jesus god i pray you help us these next few moments we need you holy ghost we need you holy ghost we need you holy ghost would you clap your hands to the lord Psalm 27, 13, I had fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. We cannot endure unless we believe to see. If you don't believe to see it, you ain't going to have the endurance to make it. But if you begin to believe to see it, you have the endurance to obtain it. 1 Peter 1, 8, 9, whom having not seen, what, what did they not see? Jesus. They've never seen Jesus. But they love him. Though they don't see him, they still believe. And they rejoice. And because they believe and rejoice, they will receive the end of your faith. What's at the end of your faith? You know, there's a whole idea what's at the end of a rainbow. What's, the end of, what's at the end of your faith? Is there anything there? Or is this just this idea of faith just to be saved? They're nothing greater than salvation. But there's some things at the end of your faith that you can see here if you begin to believe. But ultimately, you'll get to see what you've never seen before at the end of your faith, and that's Jesus. The salvation of your soul. In Revelation 1-7, he says he's going to come with the clouds and every eye is going to see him. Everyone's going to see what they've never seen. They're going to see Jesus. I cannot wait for that day. I read one last portion of scripture, and I'm, I'm wrapping up. I think it's a miracle. I went under an hour. But I'm not done yet. If you've been here long enough, you've heard me preach this and mention this so many times. It's a scripture the Lord gave me that I hold very near and dear to me. And it's a quote from Psalm 116, verse 10. Paul references it to the Corinth church. In his second letter, and he says, we have the same spirit of faith. According as it is written, I believe. Do you believe what's been written? Or do you just read what's written? 
and check off your bread chart that you read through your chapter, you read through your verse, you read through your Bible in a year? Do you just read what's written? Or do you believe what's written? He says, I believe, therefore have I spoken. We also believe, therefore speak. Some things are not seen because they're not said. We have to speak of things believed or they'll remain unseen. The scripture says, through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. The world was out form and void, but God began to speak. And what he believed and what he spoke came to pass. I'm not talking about name it and claim it, blab it and grab it. Now you're just going to say, you know, God, I want a million dollars. I want to win the lottery today. I'm not talking about immature things. I'm talking about true riches, which is souls. Most important thing. To start to believe that God is going to save souls. You know, some of you have heard, you know, my, my little brother was backslid for nearly two decades. And I mean, he was so far removed, cut off our family for almost 10 years. But on something as seemingly unspiritual as a building dedication back in January, two decades of prayer began to pour out as my little brother came to that place. And he prayed back through. And it's been so amazing these past few months. Because I, I haven't talked to my little brother in probably five years. I've been getting texts from him and calls from him. And all of a sudden he goes to church, he buys his first suit. He buys his first Bible. It's exciting stuff. Don't stop praying. Don't stop believing. Begin to declare what you believe to see. That God is is going to do it. My father, he's been, he's been in this vein, the Holy Ghost has been amazing. He's been praying for so many family members because uh, he was the only one in his family got, that got saved. And he was praying all these families, never anything ever come into fruition from it. But all of a sudden, there's just like people getting saved here and there. He's finding out that they went to this church and they prayed through and got the Holy Ghost. And then when I was at uh, uh, Oregon just uh, the other month back in March preaching, I met my father's cousin who got the Holy Ghost, but she'd never been baptized in Jesus' name, and I was able to meet her for my first time and sit there and have a quick little 10-minute Bible study and baptize her in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. you got to speak things continually in prayer and by faith, and God will bring it to pass. God is not a man that he should lie. I believe it, therefore I speak it. And you need to start writing some things down that you have not seen that you would like to see. I want to encourage this church, if you've not done it before, get a pen and a paper and begin to write things down that you've never seen before that you want to see. I got my little list here of things I want to see that I've never seen personally. I want to see a broken bone healed in front of my eyes. I want to see an open wound closed in front of my eyes. I want to see type 1 diabetes healed. I want a deaf person to be healed in front of my eyes. I want to see a blind person that I pray for healed in front of my eyes. I want to see someone paralyzed walk in front of my eyes. I want to see someone with a tumor. I want to see that tumor disappear in front of my eyes. I want to see someone with a cancer on their body. It 
heal right in front of my eyes. I want to see someone with palsy healed right in front of my eyes. Someone with Down syndrome, I believe to see them healed in front of my eyes. One with autism, one day I'm going to see them healed in front of my eyes. Someone that has MS will be healed in front of my eyes. Someone that dies will be raised to life in front of my eyes. Someone's going to come out of a coma in front of my eyes. I'm going to see a demon come out of somebody in front of my eyes. I believe to see a visible angel walk before me one day. I believe to hear the audible voice of God one day. I believe in front of my eyes, I will see an entire congregation converted. I believe that there is going to be an apostolic church in every county. I believe South Dakota is going to have a school of missions. I believe South Dakota is going to have an apostolic children's home. I believe South Dakota is going to have pilots in planes. I believe South Dakota is going to have a thousand member apostolic church. I believe South Dakota will see million dollar checks given to them. You can laugh at me. You can be a cynic. You can be a critic. But I choose to believe. I'm going to write it. I'm going to pray it. I'm going to believe it. And before Jesus comes, I will see it. What do you believe to see at the end of your faith? What's at the end of your faith? Write something down. Pray a prayer of faith and God shall bring it to pass. Oh, would you lift your hands? Would you lift your voice? I want you to know, if I don't see any of these, I'm still giving my life to this. Is that what Hebrews 11 is all about? A whole list of people that never obtained the promise, but they died for what they believed. This does not change whether I believe Jesus is able to heal, if Jesus is able to perform the miraculous. This, whether I never see this, will not change to believe to see this. I'm going to die believing for it. But I know, I feel so strong in my spirit that I will see these things come to pass. What's easier for you to say? Well, I believe, you know, my kids will grow up and we're going to go to heaven together. And Hallelujah. I believe with you. But something else. What's something you've never seen that you want to see? There's some deep hurt. In all of us, of things we wish we could have saw, but did not see. I want to see some things happen. I want to see. I, I, I don't know if the outcome would have ever been different, but I remember going to a reservation here in South Dakota and praying for a girl that was under 10 years old, dying on the hospice bed with her body swollen to cancer. I, I, I really, I wish I could play that over again if there was something I could have done different just to pray to see that girl heal, but she died right after that. Maybe that was the will of God. I don't know. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray and believe one day. I'm going to have a, a moment like that where someone's going to come up. Not for my glory, but for God's glory. And there's going to be a mass revival throughout South Dakota. If we start believing for things we've not seen. We, we're seeing things here now that we've not seen before. But now we're seeing things frequently that we always see. We always see praise and worship in this building. 
Thank God for it. I'd like to see some other forms of praise and worship in some folks every now and again. That's another sermon for another day. We regularly see tongues and interpretation and frequently see the same people using tongues and interpretation. I want to see people never used before used. I want to see gifts of the Spirit that are not used used. I want to see the working of miracles manifest in front of these people right here, right now. I want to see it. I want, I want to see the gift of prophecy activating somebody that's never even opened their mouth publicly to come forth and begin to proclaim strongly. By I, want to, I choose to believe for those things. This is not just for a group of the fantastic four that get to be using the gifts of the Spirit. This, everybody here, you've been baptized in the body of Christ. And you have a place in this body. And God wants you to see things that you've never seen before. God wants to use each person in this room in a dimension you've never seen before. But we got to start believing to see things we've not seen.